All right, welcome to Scavengeology podcast episode number one. And I'm John Bryan, and I have here my father, Glenn Bryan, um, who is a physician and also a noted historian on at least a couple of topics. And uh, he, uh, you know, we've been asked by some of my siblings who are really into podcasts to do some, some podcast episodes on some historical topics that we think are important that really aren't uh, that well known or at least aren't taught that well. So, um, you know, probably one of our favorite topics that we talk about is, is Jamestown. Um, what, what, what interests you about, uh, Dad, about Jamestown? Well, thank you for having me here uh, this morning. But uh, Jamestown is fascinating to me because it was the first, the first settlement that uh, lasted English settlement in the New World, uh, not the Pilgrims and uh, Plymouth Rock. And when I was in school, and I, I have a degree in history, uh, I don't remember ever being taught anything about Jamestown. It was all about the Pilgrims and Massachusetts. And so, as I studied about Jamestown, uh, I found some very interesting things. The experience that these early pilgrims, I'll call them pilgrims, even though that's sort of reserved for the Massachusetts folks, uh, their experience in the New World was totally different from the people in Massachusetts. And in order to really understand that, you'd have to go back to England, from hence they came and see what the conditions were in England that would drive people to take all this risk and risk of life. And indeed, you know, sometimes a third of the people would die, perish crossing the, the ocean. It took three months to get across there. Why would people do that? Well, you have to look at England and see what was going on there and in the rest of Europe at the time. Uh, people well, were wandering around everywhere not knowing where they were going. They were just looking for food, looking for anything. Uh, people were starving. They were sick. There was sickness everywhere. There was a bubonic plague uh, that uh, killed half of Europe and half of uh, England before uh, it eventually extinguished itself. In the case of England, it was primarily in London, and it took the, the fire of London to end that. Well, both the, the Jamestown settlers, which came before the, the, quote, pilgrims, and the pilgrims, they both came from England, right? Correct. But they were basically two different groups of people with two different motivations. Absolutely. Excellent point. The, the later pilgrims that went to uh, uh, Massachusetts, uh, they, were, uh, they were from a different area of England. They were more from the, the, the central and eastern part of England, whereas the pilgrims that made the, the initial pilgrimage in 1607 to Jamestown, they were from the west and southwest uh, of England, and they were a different type uh, of people totally. They, they tended to be more oriented toward the king and uh, uh, fa fa had favorable opinions of the government and the king, etc., as opposed to the, pu the Puritans that were more on the eastern side. Uh, they also were poorer in general, the, the initial people 
that came over, of course, were uh, sometimes second and third sons uh, of the of some of the nobility of, of England on their very first trips over. And the reason for that was it was uh, the eldest son at the time of death of the parents received everything. The younger children, girls, etc., got nothing. So they had to distinguish themselves on the field of combat in order to have any chance of getting anywhere. Or they had to discover a new piece of land like uh, they did in 1607 when they came to America. They were looking for a whole, you know, a whole new battlefield, a whole new uh, area to distinguish themselves in. And so their family did help them with that and pay their fares over. But uh, after the first trip, from then on, these people started perishing in rapid numbers when they came to Jamestown because they set up, they picked Jamestown, uh, which is about 10 miles, maybe a little further up the James River uh, from <clears throat> from the, the big bay there. Uh, and they did that to stay away from the Spanish. They did not want the Spanish to be able to come up and destroy them like they, like they had uh, uh, some previous uh, uh, Jesuit. So most people don't realize that the Spanish already had a presence in the area in, by 1607 when the first Jamestown settlers arrived. That's correct. And so they already, uh, I mean, they had a colony in Florida. They were at St. Augustine and uh, maybe a couple other uh, places in Florida and as well as the... Punta Gorda and Pensacola. But they had... What, uh, 20 or 30 years before the Jamestown settlers arrived, they had, uh, or at least some Jesuit priests, had entered that area of Tidewater, Virginia, and tried to kind of do what the Spanish do and, and convert some of the, the Indians to Catholicism. Um, and that didn't, I don't think, go too well for them. And, and they ended up getting uh, massacred, you know, to the last priest, basically. Um, and after that, the Spanish retaliated against them and, and, uh, they sent, uh, Spanish soldiers to Tidewater, Virginia, and they, they, uh, went on a retaliatory expedition and they killed a bunch of the Native Americans. And, uh, so, you know, I think those, those Native Americans that were in this area, they had already had contact with, with Europeans prior to Jamestown. That's correct, and they were very, they were really scrutinizing the uh, the English folks that came over, but they started to realize that they were they were different than the Spanish. Uh, the Spanish, when they came over to the New World, were in search of uh, basically gold and silver and treasures and stuff like that, uh, and they succeeded uh, in piling up huge amounts of silver and gold, and, and that's indeed why they came to Florida to uh, St. Augustine and Pensacola and uh, over on the Gulf Coast, they, they had three forts, and that was to stockpile a lot of their treasures. Well, uh, fort Matanzas, wasn't that one of their forts? I, I remember visiting that one as yes, a kid. Yes, that, that is near St. Augustine, yes. Yeah, and uh, Castillo de San Marcos, is, was that right. that old? What, what, when was, you remember when that was that one was built? 
I mean, yeah, St. Augustine's that old. It, obviously. it was built about uh, 1670. No, no, 1570, I'm so, sorry. So even, I mean, that already preceded uh, those first Jamestown settlers. So Correct. But they had been down in Central America prior to that. Yeah, I mean, I think one difference is, is that the Jamestown settlers, I mean, they were walking into a very dangerous and dynamic place that already had uh, warfare between Europeans um, with guns and and between the, the Native Americans. Whereas, you know, the pilgrims landed somewhere where, the, you know, there, there wasn't that complex you know, dynamic of, of, you know, having different warlords and, and already having battles with, with Europeans. It was, you know, I think probably something more um, amenable to, you know, this Thanksgiving feast that they had where they, they, they shared food and, and whatnot. Whereas the Jamestown settlers, I mean, they were walking into something that was a much more dangerous situation. Yes. Uh, the pilgrims, uh, 11 years later after Jamestown, walked into a little better situation. Uh, they almost starved to death. You know, their initial attempt there to, to grow things and so forth was more of a communal one, in which uh, everybody's supposed to work a little, a little field to provide food for the, for the whole group. Well, it didn't work too well. Just a few people worked. The rest of them sat back and did not work. And uh, so the next year, William Bradford changed that. And he gave each person a little piece of land, and that was what they were to uh, grow food on and, and eat. Uh, also, the, the relationship with Indians, they had a, a friendly Indian from the very beginning named Squanto. And Squanto had obviously known white man way prior to uh, uh, the pilgrims coming there. Uh, of course, 11 years earlier uh, in Virginia, our southern pilgrims, uh, certainly preceded that, but where Squanto learned to speak English, I, I don't know. Yeah, possibly the, uh, was, was it the Roanoke colony, maybe? But Could have been. I, I, I recently read, you know, one of the newer books on Jamestown by Joseph Kelly called Marooned, and that was a really interesting book. Um, but he, you know, he talks about, uh, you know, he spends a lot of time talking about um, you know, John White. And, you know, the, the settlers that were coming in to Jamestown were really, they weren't seeking religious freedom. They had signed up with this company and, you know, to be settlers uh, working for this company, and they were going there to make a profit. You know, the, the whole point of the Jamestown, early Jamestown settlements was to go find some way um, to be profitable, which in turn paid their way to come over and, and uh, convinced the, the, what was it, the Virginia Company to continue to, to fund their operations. So their, their hierarchy of, of leaders, their chain of command was all, you know, at, was all within this company, and it was all a contractual agreement. So each settler that signed on with this company got their their fare paid to come over there, but the, the company in turn, and this is just pursuant to a private contract between the two, had total control over them, just tyrannical control over them, and, and could kill them if, if they wanted to. So it really had nothing to do with religion, and um, the, 
uh, settlers that were sent over there came with their own chain of command with soldiers, and one of those was was John Smith. And he, by that time, he's a really interesting guy. Supposedly, had already been uh, fighting over in the in the Middle East, over in I believe around modern day Turkey, and is supposed to have been in three different duels with the champion of the Turkish army, and I believe it was the Turkish army, where he ended up beheading the other champion, and, and I'm not sure if they were jousting or fighting with swords or what, but you know, he had had this really, really uh, crazy life uh, and experience involving shipwrecks and, and uh, fighting in the Middle East, and, and so when he gets to um, Virginia, you know, he's really probably the most experienced guy there, and and uh, he immediately, the most important thing that I took away from that book anyways was just the dynamic between the Indians and those settlers, because the Indians knew what they had, and they wanted them. And then the settlers wanted to trade with the Indians, but the, the company was regulating everything. They weren't allowing uh, trade to take place. But it was happening, nevertheless, kind of black market. You know, the, the Jamestown settlers were smuggling metal axes out and trading them with the Indians, and they were getting whatever in return. But, um, and John Smith started to exploit this, and uh, kind of really became very powerful and became somewhat of a, of a warlord in the area because, you know, we've all heard of, uh, what was the chief's name? Powhatan. Oh, Powhatan. So, Powhatan... He was very powerful, but it wasn't just one unified tribe of, of Powhatan Indians. These were lots of little uh, different tribes that he had essentially conquered as, as the most powerful warlord of the most powerful tribe in the region. So oh, there were all these other tribes in the area or other groups that were kind of under his under his protection. It was kind of just kind of like a mafia. They were under his protection. So he didn't murder them. He protected them from other tribes, but they had to give him what was due. You know, they had to, um, they had to pay him, um, in, in whatever way, however often. So what John Smith did over, over a period of time is he started trading with his men with some of these same same groups, and he started to offer them protection, the ability to protect them from Powhatan and not have to pay them, pay him. So he started building his own uh, little empire that rivaled Powhatan's. And, and so there was all these conspiracies, um, you know, the, the Virginia Company and some of the other settlers, some other faction, the people thought that he was trying to take over Jamestown and really take over the New World, create his own empire. And then Powhatan, you know, obviously saw John Smith as as a rival because he's taking away his little fiefdoms, and and uh, he's got superior firepower and all that. So that's kind of the dynamic that's going on, and he's got different people that want to kill him, and that's when there was this explosion of gunpowder and that that almost killed him and ended up sending him back. But it's in interesting to think, you know, what would have happened if if that if John Smith had not been injured and he could have continued um, building this whole empire of his in, in Jamestown, you know, how that would have turned out. Yeah, uh, you know, John, John Smith is a very interesting character. You're talking about uh, how this 
how he uh, threatened uh, Powhatan, et cetera, and, and his own people. You know, he was a man that was controversial from the very beginning. When he first, the, put it this way, the reason he got to be on board that ship was because the Virginia Company needed someone like him that was a military person, a real leader, to hold these people together and to look after them. Because the first shipment of people that went over, I forget how many there were, but let's, let's say there was 115 people altogether, no women, just, just men to start with. Uh, there was a bunch of these second and third uh, sons of some of the nobility, and they all had some military title. They all had a, a, a conception of themselves as being leaders and, and capable of running this entire uh, uh, journey and, and the subsequent colony that was being formed. But the G Virginia Company was the one that was putting up the money. And they, they got wind of uh, John Smith, and they wanted him to be over there, and they wanted him really to run that colony. That was challenged almost from the beginning on the ship uh, as a the two ships that were going over, uh, he was on board one of the two ships. And the ship, <laughs> he got into something. Uh, we don't know exactly what it was, but he got into something on board that ship, a power struggle, and he was put in chains and held in chains until they arrived at the end of three months at, at Jamestown. And at that time, as long as... As long as they had not touched land, the captain of, of the uh, voyage, who was a one-armed man, and... Uh, Newport. Newport, yes. Christopher Newport. Uh, one-armed man. In, in fact, uh, we, we might have his uh, knife. It's an unusual knife. It has a fork and a knife all in one thing, like a one-armed man would have, and it's dated very early in the 1600s. But at any rate, uh, Christopher Newport, is, he is the commander of that voyage until they touch ground. And his job at that point was to take out onto the ground this little chest. And inside the chest, which was locked, and only Captain Newport had a key to that chest, uh, take that out and open up that chest. And in there is going to be the names of the uh, uh, of the leaders, or is the name of the leader? I'm sorry, not multiple. It was uh, the name of the leader. When they get when they arrive at Jamestown, Christopher Newport, the captain, does as instructed. He takes out this little chest, puts it down on the ground, and I can just imagine all the 117 members surrounding him and looking down as he unlocks that chest, not quite knowing what he's going to find. He's expecting to, to find the name of one person that is going to run this, this uh, uh, entire colony. But when he opens it up, he pulls out the paper and he looks, and I, I believe were 12 men chosen. In other words, they had unbeknownst to any of these people that, you know, you have to realize uh, 
life in England and elsewhere was pretty much a dictatorship. The king was all-powerful. The little uh, legislative bodies, if they existed, were, were basically nothing more than, uh, you know, just smiling folks to agree with whatever the king wanted. But all of a sudden, there's 12 names here. And one of those names is John Smith, who they have enchained and, and being treated like a criminal and scheduled to be tried and hung. But now they can't do that because he's one of the leaders. So from the very beginning, uh, John Smith was uh, a very uh, uh, worrisome figure to the other, uh, other leaders that, they, that uh, have their, their eye on running the little colony. Yeah, I mean, and they were all, they were all there, you know, as, as soldiers. I mean, they were, they were there kind of more like the, I mean, they were, they were there not to, they really didn't bring people according to, you know, what they would need to have a successful settlement. People that were experienced in farming and, and then blacksmiths and, 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 and whatever. I mean, they brought, they were adventurers, people that they thought that they were going to go find gold and silver. Uh, they were adventurers, and John Smith certainly was an adventurer. But those were the talents that they brought, which really weren't the talents that they needed. Um, you know, they thought they were going to find all this silver and gold and report back to their, their uh, you know, the company back in London how, how much uh, silver and gold they found. Eventually, they figure out that they did strike gold, but it wasn't really gold. It was tobacco. And so that kind of changed all the dynamics. But, you know, at one point, they did appoint a governor, you know, because the things were going so badly with all these different factions of, I don't remember what that, that governing body that they called it, but, you know, they were all plotting against each other. And eventually they sent a governor. And you remember what his name was? No. Was Lord De La War. De La Ware. And they eventually named Delaware after him. But he was the first governor that they chose. But he never, you know, on the ship that they sent, you know, the new governor on. Of course, they didn't know they were getting a governor yet until he would have arrived. But the the ship just happens to leave England and sail for Virginia um, and just happened to hit a hurricane. And so they sailed into a hurricane and they ended up shipwrecked. I believe it was in Bermuda. And nobody knew that they were there, whether they were dead or alive, but they never showed up in, in Jamestown. And so they ended up being shipwrecked in Bermuda for, I believe, over a year. And the way that they got off is that they had a, an engineer with them who was a, a shipbuilder. And so just, just uh, guiding the men that they had shipwrecked there on the island, they, using the, the resources they had on the island, they actually built a new ship. And it took them over a year to do it. And then they sailed on to Jamestown on the new ship that they built on the deserted island, basically. And it's a pretty interesting story. And while they were there, they kept exiling people for various, you know, conspiracies to overthrow the, uh, the governor who was there on the island. Or, no, I believe it was maybe the ship captain had, it was still claiming authority. But it, anyways, they had a, a bunch of uh, dynamics back and forth. And, you know, they think, or a lot of people think anyways, that Shakespeare's famous play, you know, The Tempest, where he describes a shipwreck and, you know, the wind howling and the ship going down, all that, 
they think a lot of people think that that was talking about the uh, Governor Delaware's uh, ship uh, being uh, shipwrecked on the way to Jamestown, and the, the time periods, uh, you know, coincide with each other. But anyways, he eventually did make it to, to Jamestown, and then he, so he takes over control, and uh, so there's there's this big power struggle going back and forth. But you know, another thing I was reading the other day is that you know, going back to the topics of the Pilgrims versus the Jamestown story, you know, the Pilgrims are really famous for Thanksgiving, the first Thanksgiving, but Virginia, really through the Jamestown settlement, you know actually claims the first Thanksgiving. And it wasn't really a, a, a feast between the Indians and the, and the settlers or anything like that. But um, on one of the shipments of new settlers coming from England, um, they were settling a, another spot just up the river from Jamestown, I think called the Berkeley Plantation. And they were, you know, particularly re religious group. Um, they weren't Puritans, but, but they were, you know, they... They were kind of of the sort, but before the Thanksgiving and with with the Pilgrims, they actually declared an annual day of Thanksgiving in in the Jamestown area. And this was this was before uh, this this actually happened first in Virginia. But it wasn't a meal per se; kind of was a day of prayer. But but it did happen first, and it only happened for what two or three years because that was. 1620, I believe, the first Thanksgiving in Virginia. So it would only be two years later that there was a massacre by the Native Americans against the Jamestown settlers of 1622. And that ended up wiping out all the celebrants of the first Thanksgiving. And so that was the last year it happened, was 1622. So while Virginia really does have a claim to the first Thanksgiving, it, it only lasted for a couple of years because the Indians massacred them. And that kind of brings up you know, the, the dichotomy between the Plymouth colony and the Jamestown colony. You know, the, the Puritans and, and, and the first Thanksgiving and all this, you know, peace and tranquility and really, really religiousness. I mean, that's not really the, the real story of America so much as Jamestown. I mean, it's an idyllic story, but Jamestown is kind of the the raw, real beginning of America. You know, they were there for adventure, profit, conquest. They weren't there for, you know, um, you know, religious, uh, to create a religious community that, you know, America never ended up being like that, like a Puritan religious community. America ended up being just a group of people that were kind of chasing a dream. And that kind of end, ends up being the American dream. And, and they learn through trial and error, through, through death, through warfare, through mistakes, and they have this awful time. And it, it's, it's, that's kind of the real story of the beginning of America, as opposed to, you know, the idyllic, uh, real, real religious, um, and actually intolerant religious society that the Puritans were, you know, so freedom of religion, really, that was Jamestown, you know, they... And the Puritans, they didn't allow freedom of religion. You couldn't choose not to go to church. I mean, Jamestown kind of, you know, it was a, it was more of a capitalist uh, society than it was just a strict religious society. So, you know, it, I think 
Jamestown has a better argument on being the very beginning of America, even though it's it's not a pretty story necessarily, than does you know the story that's told in all the textbooks about the pilgrims. Well, certainly Jamestown was a, a totally different experiment from the latter uh, pilgrims in, at Plymouth Rock. Uh, Jamestown, uh, the initial uh, boat or two that brought the new settlers to Virginia, had these fairly, you know, uh, these people that had come from fairly high ranks, but they were the second and third and fourth kids of uh, some of the lords and so forth. They perished because there was no food, and they set up the, the Jamestown experiment right in the middle of the James River. It was like on a little island, and that was a very unhealthy place to put the settlement because in the uh, in the spring, when the rains would come, the James River would flood. And the, and the other times of the year, the water would dry up, and it would be simply mud. And these folks didn't know about hygiene. They had come from England and from London, uh, where there wasn't much known about hygiene either. I mean, people didn't have toilets. They didn't have outhouses. They just did their thing, and... And, and, and then they'd throw it over the fence into the street uh, and make a, a dung pile. And the, the, the king's men would bring along a dung cart every once in a while and scrape up all that stuff and take it down to the nearest little water, body of water, river, whatever, and uh, dump it in there. Well, that's what the, these folks at Jamestown did. They probably just threw their buckets of stuff right into the water over the fence, the stockade fence, uh, into this water where they were going to get their drinking water from. And so probably four-fifths of all these folks perished. Well, the Virginia Company kept refreshing uh, Jamestown with, uh, with uh, further settlers, but it became more and more difficult to get them. They were no longer second and third uh, children of some of the lords, they started to be just people that they tricked into signing an indenture, uh, which is a work agreement, uh, and they probably didn't realize uh, the strictness of this uh, indenture that they had signed, that basically they're selling themselves to, to the Virginia Company, uh, or the ship's captain, however it works out, and then the ship's captain can auction people off. Uh, well, the, the title of that book that I read, uh, that recent book, is called Marooned because there were a lot of those um, settlers who decided to make a run for it, that it would, life would be preferable with the Indians than it would be under you know, the, the, Virginia, the strict Virginia company. And you know, they would execute uh, you know, people summarily. So you know, they, they got a taste of life as as the, the Indians lived because they they had so they had so little food that at times they would send some of the settlers to live with the Indians and uh, they would eat with them and they didn't want to go back a lot of them so a lot of the settlers would run off and um, you know they would become maroon you know and that's where the term comes from it comes from you know run, kind of running away off into the 
is originally a term that they had applied to runaway slaves in the, the Caribbean and South America. They would run away and live off in the woods and kind of intermingle or intermix with the, the natives, and they would call them maroons. And and so that's kind of what some of the early settlers did is they, they much, you know, one preferred life, you know, some of them trying to live with the uh, the natives. And so a, a lot of them did that, and then a lot of them had to get returned as well because... You know the uh, the settlement would demand them back, and uh, you know if you wanted to continue to to trade with us or have good relations with us, you, you needed to return them. So you know that was kind of another aspect of things you know th that were going on there. But we we can't <clears throat> uh, pass pass up the importance or pass over the importance of surviving the infections. That were taking place. I mean, like malaria and and uh, other illnesses that are borne by uh, bodies of water and by uh, a lack of hygiene and and drinking and eating contaminated, you know, feces uh, possessing water. Uh, you know, we were down to you know like thirty people there out of one hundred and seventeen. And then, then the Virginia Company would bring over another couple hundred, and they would all die. And it just became, you know, this, uh, you know, they had to quit talking about it, or otherwise they would never have someone sign up and sign an indenture to come over. They had to make, they had to put false advertisements in London newspapers with, with a picture of a wonderful ship and a title, uh, like come to the. You know, come to Virginia where everything grows. It's tropical. It's wonderful. Uh, come and have fun and have a new life. You know, and they would lure people, and they started to lure women to come over. And then these women would become uh, basically slaves to to their masters. Uh, and it was not a healthy situation. And this went on for probably uh, 30 years before they started to themselves out of uh, out of that just the Jamestown area and they started moving off of that well one of the reasons that they had located there to begin with is because they you know they were kind of focused on the wrong things they were looking at a, a, a fort that was in a good defensive position to protect from the Spanish so Correct. so they they settled at this this spot where they could guard the Spain from the Spanish ships coming in and they could easily bring the the English ships in and uh, use the English Navy, but really what they should have been concentrating on were the, the Indians and and being able to make it, on, you know, survive on the land. So at some point they realized that they had to get out of the swamps and move upland some, and so they, they ended up eventually moving the capital of Virginia from from uh, there to, up what, up to Williamsburg. Right, but that was after a certain person burned... Uh, Jamestown. Yeah, and that's that's kind of another thing that is never taught in schools. No, that you know, that there was a whole lot of violence and death um, before you ever get to the the seventeen seventy six period. We were able to break away from from England and create a whole new country and the American dream and all that. I mean. We, if we just look at the Virginia side of it, I mean, it's been through a long period of trial and error, suffering and death and disease before, you know, they ever got to that option. 
Right. You know, and, and so what what you're referring to is uh, was it Bacon's Rebellion? Bacon's Rebellion, correct. Yeah. And what what, what was what was going on there? Um, <clears throat> as you as you uh, stated previously, uh, the colony started to grow. It started to prosper. Uh, tobacco was a, a great crop in terms of uh, you know England and Europe had tasted some of it because the Spanish had brought it back, but it had to come from from the uh, Central American areas. Well, all of a sudden, it's being grown at Jamestown and uh, very effectively grown there. But it, the ownership of the land became very, uh, very controlled by a few people that had survived all this horror show. I mean, they were basically grunts that had come to Jamestown and survived it because they were tough and they didn't die of illness. And they were able to uh, work their way through their indentures and, and get out and, and purchase land. And they were able to uh, tie up large amounts of the tobacco land, which uh, was basically the land in between the four different rivers that are over the, the James and the, this river. The York. And that, uh, York. And, and uh, uh, because those areas would flood. And it, that would happen yearly. And that would recharge the nutrients within that area. And tobacco is a... Is a plant that eats up energy, energy in the ground. So uh, in those days, folks didn't know how to recharge that or fertilize or things like that. So the little bit of recharging from the flood from the uh, freshwater rivers into into that area is the only uh, fertilization that took place. But over a period of time, that land was uh, wearing out. And so there was a search for more land. Well, that brings us to Powhatan, the, the Indian chief that you've spoken of, and as he, he died about 1622, uh, right after his uh, very famous daughter, uh, and his brother took over, and the brother hated white man. It didn't matter whether he was Spanish or English or whatever, and he's the one that, you know, had over... A, Two-year period of time killed over five or six hundred of the well, of this early settlers. Powhatan uh, died. Well, he must have died around sixteen twenty or so. Right. Uh, and then, uh, what was it? I was thinking it was his son, but or his son no, or his brother. His brother, and he was much less, much less uh, diplomatic with the the white settlers. Right. And uh, that was that sixteen twenty two that things changed, and right. and he turned on them and, and, you know, wiped out several of, you know, it wasn't just Jamestown itself by that point. There were other little, uh, little plantations popping up like that Berkeley plantation. Um, they had started the, what was the first iron forge in the new world that we know of at, at a place called Falling Creek. And we, we actually have a, uh, an iron partisan sword that was dug there in I believe the the fifties or the sixties, and it has the iron ore content that was uh, consistent with the iron ore of that area, and 
that so we know that there was a, a an early forge, I guess the earliest forge in the New World, um, established by these settlers in around 1620 or 1621, and it was destroyed in 1622. And I believe out of the 32 or 33 workers they had there, 30 or 31 of them were killed. I mean, so it was while the settlers in the in the Fort Jamestown itself were really protected with their their fortifications, a lot of all these outlying settlements were really completely massacred. And so everything was different from 1622 on. Right. Well, going back to the tobacco land being, you know, being consumed uh, and unavailable, there was only so much of it, uh, this precious land in between the fingers of those rivers that we mentioned. because of the Indians attacking in the 1620s, uh, a pale, it was called a uh, uh, English pale, was put around the colony, the expanded colony and the tobacco land. It was basically a fence, and the Indians were not to cross that. And indeed, they, they didn't cross it except with permission. And the friendly Indians were given some sort of a signification, uh, something, a gorget, to, to allow them to enter in to the uh, Jamestown settlements, the expanded Jamestown settlements, and trade. And they traded uh, 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 deer skins for metal pots that the colonists had and things like that. And that, the Indians were very happy with that for quite a while, and they remained peaceful, you know. But the colonial governors told these uh, people that wanted to expand out into the Indian Territory not to cross that Virginia or, or that English pale that's there. That is a boundary line. Indians on one side, white men on the other side, and they could go across to trade, and that was it. But they had to be specific, you know, had to be okayed by the leaders of the, uh, of the settlements. Well, as more and more people started to come into the colonies around the 1650s, uh, they were bringing, uh, there was a famous uh, uh, leader of the colony at that time, uh, and he was bringing in people from the west and the southwest of England uh, that thought like he thought thought like the king thought, and so forth, which was very important because they had, uh, you know, there was a struggle going on with the Puritans back in England versus the, the kings. So they wanted this colony to be uh, uh, in, indebted to the king and not to the uh, puritanical. Yeah. Well, there were two kind. what, two kinds of, we're getting into, you know, the, the, history, you know, the, the more boring stuff, but the, the, there were two kinds of English charters for colonies. What there was a, what, there was a private charter and then there was a, what, a royal colony, royal. So the, the private one, like Jamestown began as it was the, the private company itself had total control. They could appoint their own board of governors. They could, they could rule it. And really the king, you know, had, didn't have really anything to do with it. But the other way of doing things is that it's a royal colony and the king appoints a royal governor. So at some point we we have a a switch from this this for-profit private company 
um, um, the Virginia Company to uh, you know, being a royal colony with a royal governor because the Virginia Company was it Shirley? Went broke. Shirley is that who you were thinking of, or is that later uh, on? Uh, the Virginia Company went broke because of all the losses and all the all the uh, you know sunken ships and and people dying and so forth, and so uh, the British or the English. Uh, appoint one of their people that was uh, on the oh the king's royal little group of five or six advisors. They took one of those folks and sent them to the New World to take over the Virginia Company, which he did. And he started bringing over more and more people from the west and southwest of, of England because there was some very bad stuff going on in England in terms of Parliament versus the King, resulting in eventually Charles I losing his head, or hanging, I forget which now. But uh, this lord that they sent over, he ran that colony. I mean, he was absolutely the boss. But he did a lot of good things. But he, he also did some bad things. And one of the things that he did was he said, Okay, all you young people that I brought over here, you have to stay inside of this Virginia pale, this fence. You can't go over looking for land, take it from the Indians, or we're going to have a war with them again. And we promise that we're not going to let our people go over there. And and so that's what happened. Is there was a young man, what was his name again? The one that uh, Bacon, Bacon, Nathaniel Bacon. Uh, Bacon uh, was a young lawyer from England that had married the the niece of uh, the governor's wife, and he came over, and uh, so the the governor of uh, Virginia at that point, who had had been the right hand man of the king, uh, gave him some of the best lands gave him a position on the Royal Council. But the young man and others wanted more land. So this, this young fellow, Bacon, he goes out and he puts together a large army of, of basically farming people that want more land. They want to cross over and take this Indian land. And uh, he goes to see his uh, uncle-in-law, and tells him what he wants to do. And uh, and the governor, who was the uncle-in-law, says, you're not doing that, Bacon. You just go back from hence you came, and, and I don't want to hear any more about you going over there and fighting the Indians. Well, Bacon left, and he, he just disregarded what the governor said, and he put together this 1,100-man uh, army. And he went over and, and started... Uh, basically killing the Indians. And in the, in the middle of that, the, the Lord, the governor, decides he's going to destroy this uh, young nephew of his. And so he sends the army out. Well, the nephew whips his army and goes all the way back into Jamestown. And on the way through Jamestown, uh, Bacon, Nathaniel Bacon, burns Jamestown. And that's why they moved to Williamsburg. Um, it, it, and was then, that like 1681 or 
Yeah, it was in the 1670s or somewhere in there. Yeah, 1680. Well, you know, you were mentioning the pale. Well, you know, that's a modern, isn't that a modern saying that we have today is, you know, something is, if it's, you know, something's beyond the pale. And, you know, that reminds me, a lot of the Jamestown settlers, they had combat experience before. I mean, they were brought, they brought experienced people over that were, I mean, they were fighters. And, and a lot of the accounts from the early Jamestown guys, they weren't particularly, I mean, they weren't terrified of, of the Native Americans. I mean, they, they they had served a lot of them on the frontier in Ireland. So it really wasn't all that different for them. And so, I mean, really the the UK was was a dangerous, vicious place and had been for a long time. And some of those early settlers had served in some of these English forts that were guarding the Irish frontier. And it's like if you think the 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 Native Americans with their with their mostly bows and arrows were scary like you hadn't seen the crazy Irish in the, on the front, the Irish frontier. I mean, they, these people were 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 vicious, and they had been fighting for a long time. I mean, really descended from the Vikings. I mean, they, these were some dangerous warlords, uh, groups of people, and they had seen some awful um, atrocities on the Irish frontier, and that's why it was so dangerous. They would keep these English soldiers cooped up in these forts, these English forts on the Irish frontier, and they're surrounded by a pale. And so, you know, that's, I think, where the, the, the phrase originated, you know, if something's beyond the pale, it's like, you, you know, you're not going beyond the pale unless you're, you're, uh, you know, you're ready to, to face, you know, these crazy Irish, uh, um, tribes. So, you know, part of the story of Jamestown is, is you know, these, they weren't just these, these pilgrims looking to grow corn and have a feast with the Indians. I mean, they were there looking for a way to, to uh, make money for this company in England. And uh, they were people who were really adventurers and soldiers, and they were experienced. And some of the stories of John Smith, I mean, how he was kind of able to become a warlord in his own right is because he had these experienced men that he surrounded him with that he trusted that, I mean, they were, they were vicious killers. I mean, they, they were experienced and really they weren't all that scared of what would happen to them with Powhatan when, when they had already faced some of these Irish tribes. So, you know, it's just, it's just another thing that, that really you don't realize that they didn't really teach you know, in, in the, in the regular history books. And so it's interesting to, to, I mean, there's, and you could talk all day about Jamestown, but, you know, we always learn about the pilgrims, but, but really there's so much more even to learn about the, the Jamestown settlements and just these power struggles. And really, and it's not as if the, the Native Americans around Jamestown were some, you know, weak little, you know, presence there. I mean, they, they had been there a long time in Powhatan. I mean, he had an empire that he had worked hard to, to rule over. I mean, and he was a vicious guy in some of the stories. I mean, he, he would kill some of his own people. He would kill some of the tribes that he ruled over in vicious ways. I mean, he, I mean, that's how in that type of environment, a warlord, I mean, he has, you have to rule by fear. You have to rule by power. And so he wasn't, I mean, he, this was not a weak presence. I mean, they had dealt with the Spanish. They had killed the Spanish. They had fought with the Spanish already. Um, they had a vast trading empire, even including with some of the uh, interior tribes. 
And, you know, they benefited in many ways and they took advantage of the Jamestown settlers. I mean, they, they wanted primarily, I mean, they really wanted the, the metal axes. I mean, they, those, that was such an improvement, um, but they wanted these goods. And the Jamestown settlers, I mean, they were there to make money too. So even under the table, they, you know, there was this tr illegal trade going on. And that was a big part of Jamestown is even the Virginia company, they could not stop the, this illegal trade. The company itself wanted to regulate the trade. So, you know, if you have, if you have every Tom, Dick, and Harry who's your little indentured servant with their own little trades going on, that hurts your bottom line as a company because they're already getting things. And you, some of your own guys are stealing out of the armory and selling gunpowder or whatever to, to the natives. That hurts your bottom line because they're already getting what they want, and that's just going to drop the prices. So they're trying to control all trade. So there's you know absolutely illegal. They kill you if they caught you trading with the Indians, but it, it's still happening. And that's kind of a lot what was going on. The Virginia Company, just from across the ocean, they, they had a hard time controlling this. And that's kind of the, really the story of America, too, because, you know, as America grew, and even into the 19th century, when Thomas Jefferson bought the, you know, all of uh, present-day Montana and, you know, the Missouri, uh, the Louisiana Purchase, all the Missouri country, um, you know, it, there was no way that the federal government, as weak as it was, was ever going to hold back settlement. I mean, it, it's impossible. They could say, they could promise the Indian tribes there, which they did, that we, you know, we'll control settlement. You can have this land, uh, and we'll have this profitable trade. But the fact is, if there was no way that the U.S. government was ever going to stop this migration of of white or European settlers, you know, some of whom were Americans and some of whom maybe came from Europe to join in this. I mean, this is really the only time in recent centuries where there was new land to be had. I mean, Europe had been divided long, long, long ago, and they had fought. I mean, they've been fighting over these small areas of land since Roman times. I mean, the Romans... I mean, fought with the, the Germanic tribes for 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 decades and decades and decades. I mean, this was just a bloody history in Europe where they're fighting over a very small piece of ground, and it's divided up very early on, and the frontier at that time is is then England and, and then Ireland. But even way before you know we get to the whole story of America, even those lands are completely divided up. And land is staying in families. I mean, it's staying with the firstborn son. These estates, they're you know, they've devised this system to where you know a very small number of people own all the wealth, and they they uh, are keeping the land. It's not it's not being uh, distributed to anybody. It's not available for purchase. And they've created this system where you know, if you're born a peasant, you're going to stay a peasant. There's no way to rise up the ranks. You know, the, the, everything is controlled by a system of, of a king, a monarchy, and then a, a ruling class. And there's there's not, not a whole lot you can do about that other than join the military. And really, it's really a lot of it's that way, you know, elsewhere in Europe. And yes, they've had all these, these, uh, these, uh, this, this progress, you know, technological progress, 
but really it, it, it doesn't benefit the little guy, the masses of people. And really that the story of America, in my opinion, is, is the dramatic change of all these masses of people who have been held down for centuries, even since Roman times in Europe, realizing that there is this vast tract of land where there's nobody but, but, but you know, Indians on it. And now it's going to be open for settlement, or at least they perceive it's going to be. So people flood from Europe even, much less the Eastern American colonies, and it was just inevitable from the very beginning that all these people who have been oppressed for centuries, they're going to want a piece of it. And there's not a thing that anybody's going to do about it. You know, once that there's a foothold in the eastern side of the colonies, it, it was always going to push all the way to the west. And I think, I think that's a point I've heard other people made is that regardless of U.S. policy or Indian policy or anything like that, there was always going to be a frontier in America that was going to push all the way to the Pacific Ocean, regardless of what any, uh, any colonial government said, any, any uh, American government said. It, it, it's kind of the story of America. There's always going to be this progress west. And really, it kind of all started with, with Jamestown. And once they discovered the value Really, it wasn't like the Spanish found in Central America and South America where they actually found gold or silver. The, the gold and silver of this entire continent was the land itself. You know, it was, it was the trees. It was, and it was, it was the agricultural land. And it was just the promise of there's this new land where, you know, the, you know, the same families own the same little farm in Germany or wherever for, you know, hundreds of years. And now there's this opportunity to own, you know, fresh new land that, you know, it, it, and, uh, and you can just take it. It's there for the taking. So as soon as they discovered tobacco, like you said, it, it drains the nutrients in the soil and they just had to keep expanding, expanding, expanding. And that was the first gold that, that really was found was tobacco. And that became the rage in Europe. And so that fueled the settlement, and it had to keep expanding and expanding, and, and it just kind of went from there. Right. And <clears throat> just as we had said, there was a pale placed around there to try to contain the settlement. But in the end, that didn't work. Uh, the colonial uh, governor there at the time uh, tried his best uh, to restrain uh, even his nephew from crossing over and taking the Indian land. And it, in the end, uh, the nephew dies, but so does the colonial uh, governor's ability to, to rule the, the colony. Uh, he ends up being summoned back to England, and they replaced him with someone else. And uh, sure enough, people just kept going beyond the pale, taking land, having to deal with the Indians. Uh, there was... One other boundary, though, that was keeping folks uh, east uh, and keeping them from crossing over, and that was the Blue Ridge Mountains. No one had really, other than a couple explorers, had ever crossed the Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, and, and they were a barrier, and the Iroquois Indians owned the Valley of Virginia, which was west of the Blue Ridge Mountains, uh, and they didn't take kindly to any settlements beyond that. They would burn, burn them out and kill them. 
the Iroquois lived up at the top of, uh, uh, of the Appalachian Mountains in New York near the Mohawk River. It was made up of five tribes. We won't talk about those right now. But uh, eventually for the colony to expand and to get the new land that they need, uh, they have to cross over those Blue Ridge Mountains and get to the Valley of Virginia, but they didn't even know what the valley was uh, until uh, around 1717. Uh, one of the uh, Spotswood, uh, he was a colonial governor, uh, Alexander Spotswood, took a little uh, group of 20 men and some of his best drinking buddies, and they crossed over the Appalachian, or the uh, Blue Ridge Mountains, excuse me, uh, into the valley. And and they discovered what a beautiful valley this was. And that so, so much of the, the timber and, uh, that they were used to seeing initially that had to be dealt with on the east side of the Blue Ridges, uh, it had been burned for hundreds of years by the Indians for, to allow for uh, hunting. It was a great uh, hunting area for several Indian tribes, but the the Iroquois were the were the strongest and most most powerful, and and uh, uh, pretty much control that area. So, for any expansion into the Valley of Virginia, there was going to have to be some something worked out with the Iroquois Indians and possibly some some other tribes as well. And then that sort of that leads to another whole. Uh, yeah, well, that that leads probably to episode two. Yes. But. Well, um, I'm not sure how long exactly we've, we've gone on, but that you know that's probably uh, enough for our conversation on Jamestown uh, for our you know, first podcast episode one. So, um, anyways, thanks for uh, joining us, and and uh, we'll go ahead and look for a, a different topic for next time.